Tonight's lesson is going to be a little bit different. Um, it's basically a second introduction. It's an introduction part two. Um, the reason why we need another sort of introduction is because the style of Proverbs is about to change drastically. Beginning in chapter 10 is where we do have the rapid-fire succession of the truth nuggets that Proverbs is so famous for. And so it's very, very different from the first nine chapters where we saw the, the detailed discussion, uh, the warnings, the encouragements, uh, a lot of wisdom being personified and, and talking to us and encouraging us. And now it's going to be a lot different than that. And really it's different from most of the rest of the Bible. So there's some things we need to remember. There's going to be some things to, to establish and learn that will help us and be very important as we apply the Proverbs that we read and as we apply the rest of the book. So that's what we're going to do tonight, sort of pave the road so that it's not as bumpy when we get to all these, these quick bullet points. Um, first, let me show you a really quick overview of sort of what is left in Proverbs. Chapters 10 through about halfway through 22 or so, are the Proverbs of Solomon, specifically labeled that way. They're specifically attributed to King Solomon. No surprise there. We know he's the, the main author of, of the book. Beginning in chapter 22 and verse 17, there is a section labeled as the words of the wise, and then another sort of subheading near the end of chapter 24 that says these are also the sayings of the wise. Then chapters 25 through the end of 29 are labeled again specifically as Solomon's Proverbs. But even more specifically, they are the ones that King Hezekiah's men were sure to copy down. And, and we're, we're told that there in, in chapter 25. Then the final two chapters, chapter 30 and 31, come from different men, King Agur and King Lemuel. And we, when we get there, we'll study more about these men and the authorship there if we can. Um, and those last two chapters are more like the first nine chapters than they are 10 through 20, 29 that, that give us mostly rapid-fire uh, proverbs. Um, so the bulk of what we'll deal with from here on out is what proverbs is, is known for. So let's remember what a proverb is. And we talked about this in our very first lesson, but we need to remind ourselves again, and we'll expand on it a little bit. Um, in case you've slept since January when we, uh, when we had our first introduction on this. There's a lot of good definitions of, of what a proverb is. I like this one. Dan Phillips said a, Proverbs, a proverb is a compressed statement of wisdom, artfully crafted to be striking, thought-provoking, memorable, and practical. And there's a few key elements in this definition that I want to just sort of mention and focus on for a moment. First, they are short and memorable. You can see he uses the phrase, this compressed statement of wisdom. It doesn't really take that much time to read a proverb. I mean, it is, it's not meant to be worthy, wordy. Uh, it's, it's stripped down truth. It's not a dissertation. We were joking when we were eating in the fellowship hall a moment ago that it's not a Ken Burns documentary. It's not going to take you 10 hours to, to sit there and read one proverb. It's a bumper sticker. It's a headline. And so that's partly why it's so memorable is because it is very short, very terse, and concise. Dan Phillips also says that Proverbs do not try to say everything. But what they do say, they say artfully and memorably. 
All right, so even though a proverb is short and it doesn't take that long to read, it does take a while to think about it. All right, so that's the second thing here is that it's thought-provoking. It takes less time to read it than it does to think about it. One of my seminary teachers said that a proverb was a saying that was short on words and long on meaning. I've always remembered that. Short on words and long on meaning. I mentioned this in the first lesson. It's an adage without the padage. That's what one author called it. An adage without the padage. So it is short, but it is thought-provoking. But as we think about the proverb and the wisdom that it presents, it's not just... It's not just theoretical stuff. It's not just philosophical truth to just, to just theorize and ponder. They, they present real life situations. So it's, it's deeply practical. Proverbs force us to consider choices that we may have uh, to encounter in life. They can force us to consider the consequences of those choices and, and what we'll do in different situations. And so they are short they're thought-provoking, they're, they're memorable, they're practical. But there's one thing that, that's very important that I don't know that this definition um, presents, and that's that Proverbs present general truths. You may even want to make a note on, on, your, on your sheet of that if you, if you have one. Proverbs present general truths, okay? They are not rules, promises, or guarantees. And we need to understand that or we'll get frustrated. They're not meant to be taken as promises. By their very nature, they're generally true. That's what we even use the word proverbial to, to mean that. So that means there can be exceptions. It means that sometimes you could misapply it. It means that it cannot apply every time in every specific situation. If we try to do that, we'll get frustrated and we'll get in trouble. That's basically what Job's friends did. If you read through the book of Job, and especially the speeches back and forth between Job and his friends when Job was suffering, Job's friends used a lot of ancient proverbs. They didn't just make stuff up. They were speaking in general accepted wisdom of the day. And a lot of their wisdom was that God judges wickedness. Well, what would we say to that? Does God judge wickedness? Absolutely. I could preach that and get a lot of amens from that. That's generally true, but was it true in Job's specific case? No. God was not punishing him for wickedness. And so they took their proverbs, they're generally true, and they misapplied those general truths to Job's specific case. And we want to be careful not to do that. Proverbs can also have exceptions. doesn't mean that they're wrong. We just have to understand that. Proverbs 10 and 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. That's generally true. And we can see the wisdom behind that, but that doesn't mean there's never a God-fearing person who dies young or a wicked person who lives to be 100. Generally speaking. Alright, so it's important to understand this. Because sometimes Proverbs even seem to contradict one another. You say, really? Well, we have that in our language and in our culture for sure. Here's one example. Have you ever heard, look before you leap? 
What about he who hesitates is lost? Well, which one of those Proverbs do I need to follow? Which, which, one, which one? They're contradictory Proverbs from our own language, from our own culture. And on the surface, they do contradict, right? So which one's true? Both. They just don't always apply in every situation. Sometimes decisions are very weighty and they're very important and they demand caution. Look before you leap. There are other times where you may have an opportunity that you have to take advantage of quickly or it's gone. So he who hesitates is lost. They're both true, generally speaking, just maybe at different times. You say, yeah, but those are from our language, Brother Matt. Surely there's no contradictions in Proverbs. Well, look at Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. If you have your Bible, you need to open it there because I don't have these, these uh, verses on the, on the slides tonight. Most of the other ones look at, I do. But Proverbs 26, verse 4. I'm going to ask you a question. Should we answer a fool according to his folly or not? Well, verse 4 says, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. You say, okay, well, there it is. Brother Matt, I'm not going to answer a fool according to his folly. But look at verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly lest he be wise in his own eyes. You say, oh my goodness. Well, so which one is it? Should I, should I answer a fool according to his folly or not? Yes. Both of these proverbs are true. It's going to take some wisdom to know when to apply, the, apply it to the proper situation. Okay? Verse 4 ultimately warns us not to become like the fool ourselves, while verse 5 demonstrates that sometimes you have to disarm a fool with his own weapons. They're not contradicting each other. They just need to be applied in different situations. And it's going to take wisdom sometimes to know how to apply the proverb correctly. And that sort of goes all the way back to chapter 1 and one of Solomon's goals in chapter 1 and verse 6, he told us that one of his goals for writing Proverbs, for us reading and studying it, was to understand a proverb. That kind of seems circular. That Solomon said, if you'll read Proverbs, you'll understand Proverbs better. But Jesus said similar things about his parables. We've seen that in, in Brother Connor's Sunday school class in the last you know, few months. The more you study Proverbs the more you'll understand Proverbs uh, because you're gaining wisdom. And the wisdom helps you apply it in, in the correct situation and things like that. So this is not an unheard, an unheard of thing. So right now before we go into chapter 10 in the next few weeks, we need to understand that these Proverbs are short, dense, memorable ways of presenting general truths. And we'll get frustrated if we don't, if we don't remember that. Another thing that will help us a whole lot in interpreting these Proverbs is to understand a little bit about Hebrew parallelism. I've got this definition on your worksheet if you have it. Um, parallelism is a literary device in which the first line presents a thought that is somehow completed by the second line. We might even call it a couplet in our day and time or something or a there's, there's the first half of the sentence and the second half. There's line A and line B, and I'll use line A and line B throughout, throughout the lesson tonight. 
So those two halves of the sentence or of the proverb, they work together somehow. And not all, but most of the rest of the book is put together this way. Where you have these parallel two-part sayings with line A and line B. And this, this parallelism is essentially the immediate context for the proverb. I'm going to talk more in a minute about how difficult context is sometimes throughout the rest of Proverbs. But first of all, the immediate context is how the proverb works together itself. How the relationship between the first half and the second half. And that doesn't seem too bad, but not all parallelism is created equal. Okay? Did you notice that I put the word somehow in italics there? Parallelism can be different. Okay, There can be a different relationship between line A and line B. And so I want us to look through seven major types of, of Hebrew parallelism, and they could even be in English as well, because it will really help us moving forward. All right, as we look at these categories, um, be thinking of some Proverbs that you know, maybe which ones they'll fit in. I'll give you an example of, of every one of them. And also know that you know some proverb might kind of fit into a couple categories. It doesn't mean that this is a, you know, a black and white exact science necessarily. They could, there can be some overlap here. But uh, the first type of, of parallelism or type of proverb is the most common by far. And it's called a contrast proverb or an antithetical proverb. That's where line B, the second part, Contrast with line A. These are pretty easy to, to determine. They're pretty easy to, to recognize because a lot of times you have the word but that begins the second line. Okay, it makes these pretty easy to spot. It's the most common one. Um, in fact, if you have your Bible open and you open to Proverbs chapter 10, just glance through the chapter real quick and notice how many second lines begin with the word but. And really you can do this through the next several chapters and you will see that a huge majority of the Proverbs, the second half, is going to begin with the, with the English word, but. And so when we have this type of, of proverb, we're contrasting two things. We're learning by looking at opposites. And there's a ton of examples that we could give, but I'll just give one uh, just to sort of help us. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but... A harsh word stirs up anger. So we see not only in this, in this proverb, well, the first thing we see is that we have two very opposite things presented. A soft answer versus a harsh word. And then we have turning away wrath versus stirring up anger. And then stuck in the middle there is that nice contrast word, but. So it's easy to tell what Solomon is presenting here, we can learn something by looking at the, the opposite ends of the spectrum, so to speak. So this is going to be by far the most common one uh, that we'll see. Another uh, major type is called a synonymous proverb or a synonymous parallelism. Um, it's, it's almost exactly the opposite of what a contrast parallel is. This is where line B just restates line A. It doesn't necessarily teach anything different. It's just a different way to say it. It just rewords the teaching of the first part. Sometimes it might advance it a little bit or add to it just a little bit, but it could just be a way of re-saying the same thing. 
one man calls uh, line B in this, uh, this type of proverb the echo because it's saying the same thing. And he, he does say that often the echo is more specific, more emphatic, more heightened, or more picturesque. So there might be a little bit, a little bit more vividness maybe in the second part of it, and, and we'll see that in an example here. In 11.25, Solomon says, Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. So what's the difference between those two statements? Nothing. Solomon is saying the same thing in both halves of the proverb, but the second half is a little more picturesque because he's using the image of water. He's just making it a little bit more vivid, but he's not teaching anything different. I'll give one more example of this uh, type of proverb. 16.18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If we spend an hour dissecting the difference between pride and a haughty spirit, we've missed the point here. What's the difference between destruction and a fall? That's not the point here. Solomon is saying the same thing in a different way. It's this synonymous proverb. All right, so um, you see this a lot in Psalms as well, actually. Hebrew poetry is very different from English poetry. We tend to like rhyming sounds. The ancient Hebrews used rhyming thoughts. And so, to a Hebrew, Proverbs 16, 18 rhymes. Because the thoughts rhyme. The first half says, pride, pride will destroy you. And the second half says, pride will destroy you. So, to a Hebrew mind, this is a, a rhyming technique even. And you see it a lot in Psalms. Um, so, as you're you know, reading on your own and studying on your own, sometimes you'll see this and uh, you'll say... Is that, is that saying the same thing? It, it might be. It might be. That was a, a very Jewish thing. All right. Another type of proverb is called a comparison proverb where line A is said to be like line B or vice versa. This is very similar to our English similes and metaphors where you take two things that don't seem anything alike and you compare them somehow. And there's... There's some sort of overlap that the writer wants you to notice. Sometimes they may blatantly come out and say it, and sometimes they just sort of leave it you know, for you to, to ponder and think about. Um, but these, when you compare two things that don't seem anything alike, there's, that overlap can be very, um, a very good teaching technique because it's very memorable and it's very, it's very descriptive. Sister Linnell actually quoted one of these types of proverbs in the thank you note that I, that I read from her Sunday. It's Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. I had to pick that one for our example since we just read it Sunday in that, in that thank you note. Words and honeycombs are not really that much alike. But there is some overlap, right, that Solomon wants us to see. Sweetness to the soul and health to the body. There's a refreshing part about both of those things. There's a, a healing um, sweetness that those things can bring in their, in their own respective ways. All right? And so uh, I love these types of proverbs. Uh, Y'all didn't know you were going to have English class tonight with similes and metaphors and things like that. I know you, uh, you teenagers are going, oh, and we already had English class today. I know, I know. But this is a great way to teach and a great way to, 
have people memorize things and remember things like that. So um, often with these type of proverbs, you will see the word like, and, and I have that here, but not always. It could be more like a metaphor without the word like or as. Um, all right, move on to the next one. Another major type of proverb is a satirical proverb. Um, it's what you would assume it is with the word satire in it here. But it's, it's a warning given by making fun of someone. Sometimes Solomon will mock fools. And he will use outlandish humor and just funny, funny imagery to show how poor their choices are and why we don't want to make them. And one of my favorite examples of this is in 1922 where Solomon says the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. I referenced this in one of our lessons earlier because we talked about a sluggard. But this, this image that Solomon uses here is of a guy who, who grabs a handful of M&Ms and that wears him out. He's too lazy to bring the M&Ms to his mouth. He wants the candy. He buries his hand in the dish, but uh, it's too much work to bring it back to his mouth. Well, that's a ridiculous picture, right? That is over-the-top laziness. That's the point. It's very satirical. It's very uh, mocking of a sluggard. So we'll see some of those as we move forward. Another major type of proverb is called an evaluation proverb, or maybe, maybe we could call it a comparison. And this is where line A is better than line B. Sometimes they're easy to see because you have keywords that give it away, like better, rather, uh, more, or than, or even more than uh, together. And the point of these is that the wise person should look at these two options, these two choices, and there is clearly a superior choice. Or there's clearly one of these options that, it, that is better. And so these types of proverbs really force us to reflect on what we value. Really reflect on what's truly important. Um, I like the way one author described this type of proverb. He, he mentioned that when you have these evaluation parallels, they acknowledge that life is not always ideal and choices are not always perfect and crystal clear. Sometimes life is messy, right? And everything's not perfect. And there's a, there's a proverb that's sort of along these lines for an example here. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. You say, I don't want to choose either one of those. I want a fattened ox and love, Brother Matt. Well, sure you do, but that's not the proverb here. You have to decide, would I rather eat a very humble meal with love in that family or have a five-course feast where we all hate each other? One of those is clearly superior if you're wise. It's not even close. It's not even a choice. And Solomon tells us which one is better. But this world might argue that's because they don't have wisdom. Another one of the major types we'll see is um, a consequence parallel or, or a cause and effect. This is that line B happens when you do line A. Okay? These, if, if, if line A happens, 
Line B will happen as well. It follows it. And so these are the Proverbs that really make us consider our decisions and they force us to just think beyond the decision to the consequence. Isn't that what the whole book of Proverbs has been teaching us from really from, from the jump? If we'll look at this world through the lenses of God's wisdom like Solomon has encouraged us, then, then we will see the world for the way it is. And we will see the, the outcome of our choices, not just the options that are in front of us. These Proverbs that are these cause-effect Proverbs sort of force us to, to think that way. So one example is in chapter 20 and verse 4. Where Solomon says, the sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. Okay, it's cause and effect. He, since he didn't plow, he doesn't have anything to harvest. Alright, that's the consequence. So we need to consider then, do I want to be like the sluggard who didn't work and now he has nothing to eat later on? So we're, we're forced to see our, our decisions. If you're too lazy to plant, then you won't reap. All right, I'm not looking at the sheet. Is there one more? I have one more. A synthetic proverb. That sounds very made up, doesn't it? Thank you, Brother Connor. At least, at least somebody was there with me. A synthetic parallel is where line B adds to line A. It might be a little similar to that synonymous one, but it's a little different. This is where the second half is not necessarily a complete rewording of the first half. It's not just a restatement, but, but it's adding a little something extra. The idea is kind of like, look, line A is true, but even more consider line B. So it's not that they're opposites or that they're the same. It's just a little bit more, I mean, a little heightened there. And here's an example. 1629 says, a man of violence entices his neighbor and leads him in a way that is not good. So you see how just the idea of, of a man enticing someone, it's not contrasted in the second part, but it's, it's added to that he will lead you in a way that's not good. So that's an example of, the, of this synthetic uh, proverb. If you um, are interested in this sort of thing and, and study this sort of thing more, you may come up with you know, different commentaries, may have different names of these things, and that's totally fine. These are, these are the ones that I, that I used. Um, understanding sort of how this parallelism can work will help so much when we're reading the rest of Proverbs. I know that, I know that that was a lot like an English class at school, which I liked English class. I'd rather have English than math, but it will help a lot. Okay, So this parallelism is the immediate context of a proverb. We've got to determine how they're working together. But then sometimes outside of that, context is really difficult in Proverbs, isn't it? Probably the most difficult thing about the rest of Proverbs is the context. Because sometimes as we read these quick bullet points, it just seems like we're going from here to here to here to... I mean, it's just, what's the connection between these? What is, you know, what is the theme? Um, sometimes they seem very random and very unconnected. A lot of commentaries uh, on Proverbs, when they come to chapter 10, completely stop 
verse-by-verse verse commentating. They completely stop going expositionally through the book and they start to look at things topically. Um, they, they might take all of the Proverbs, no matter what chapter it's in, that are about speech. And they group all those together and they say, let's see what we can learn about our speech. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's, that's a fine way to, to study through, through these Proverbs. But for our purpose, we're going to keep going verse by verse. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm going to say something about every single verse we read. Because if we did that, you know... We'd probably be in Proverbs for another 10 years, slow as I go um, sometimes. Um, some of the themes can get repetitive, so I'll, I'll do my best to, to keep us moving forward. But sometimes we will find a theme or a thread in, in a smaller group of Proverbs. Uh, some even suggest that they're laid out by the type of proverb that they are. If you do have your Bible still open... You can look through chapters 10 through 22, and just even if you just you know flip through it with your thumb, you can see that in those chapters there are a lot of contrast proverbs. You will see the word "but" to begin the second line a whole lot. But then in chapters 22 through 24, where we have that section that was labeled "the sayings of the wise," we don't have that anymore. It's it's a different section. They, they do come across differently. Then in chapters 25, where Solomon takes over again, in 25 and 26, we see a lot of comparison proverbs. If you glance through chapter 25 and 26, you'll see the word like quite a bit. And then in chapters 27 through 29, we just sort of have a hodgepodge of different, different parallelisms once again. Um, I mention that because I think it's interesting. It's definitely not a rule. You'll find different you know, types of parallelisms here and there. But it is kind of interesting, maybe, as they're compiling Proverbs and, and Solomon is writing this, maybe there's some thought there. Um, but back to the context. Context is not limited to the verses that immediately precede and immediately follow the verse you're studying. It's bigger than that. Context is kind of like a dartboard with the, with the concentric rings. Okay, the verse you're studying is the bullseye. The verses just around it, that's that next ring. Maybe the chapter that it's in, that's the next ring. Maybe the book it's in is the next ring, and then the whole Bible is the biggest ring. And so... Even in Proverbs, if we come across a proverb or a group of Proverbs where, where the surrounding context seems difficult, it still is on the dartboard. It still fits within the overall framework of the book of Proverbs and the overall framework of the Old Testament and the overall framework of the entire Bible. If we interpret it somehow that contradicts Proverbs or the Old Testament or the Bible, we're interpreting it incorrectly. I mentioned in, our, in one of our first lessons that Proverbs is a book. Sometimes it's, it's a, a disservice happens to the book because it's viewed as just a, a hodgepodge of quotes. Well, we just looked at the first nine chapters and it's definitely not like that, is it? There's a lot more than just quotes in Proverbs. 
And so keep that in mind as we start to look at the rapid-fire wisdom nuggets that we've already put this in context. That will help us interpret it and understand it and apply it. And so let me just give a real quick overview, reminder of what that overall context of Proverbs has been. In order for us to live skillfully in this world that God made, and in order for us to enjoy true fulfillment with the life that He's given us, we need wisdom. If we don't have wisdom, and if we live in rebellion against the very principles that God built the universe with, we're going to suffer some consequences. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. We're going to bring struggle upon ourselves. We need to follow the Creator's wisdom. Which, how does that begin? By fearing the Creator. Fearing the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Solomon has taught us that. So, fearing the Lord, that begins by having a relationship with Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. Then it continues throughout life with all those other aspects of fear that we've talked about. The reverence aspect, the humility aspect, the obedience aspect. So fearing the Lord starts it and keeps it going. Uh, the, the one quote we had one time was that the fear of the Lord is both the doorway and the pathway to true wisdom. So, wisdom, remember, is not about intelligence. You can make all A's and be a fool. You can have a brilliant mind and make poor, poor choices. That's why Proverbs has not been about academics, but about morality. And that's why we've seen that connection between wisdom and righteousness, or wisdom and obedience, as opposed to wisdom and smarts. We haven't seen that. Wisdom's more about who you are, how you live, than things you know. And we even understand that when we think about secular wisdom. A lot of times you'll hear someone say, well, wisdom, that's the ability to apply knowledge. I don't have a, I don't have a problem with that definition. Biblically speaking, wisdom would then be applying God's knowledge to your life, which is obedience. You can know that stealing is wrong, but if you steal something anyway, you're proving to be foolish even though you were smart. You're not applying the knowledge to your life. That's why there's such the connection between wisdom and obedience. Between fear and obedience. So wisdom is going to change who you are, how you act. It's going to change your relationship. First with God and then next with your fellow man. And when your relationships and other decisions in life, when they're guided by God's wisdom, you're living skillfully as you were created to do. And you enjoy fulfillment and all the blessings that Proverbs has already laid out for us like peace and joy and all of those things. So even though reading this next big part of Proverbs is, is going to be quite different from reading anything else in Scripture, the same larger context still applies. Fearing the Lord is the doorway and the pathway of wisdom. 
Fearing the Lord means a relationship with Jesus, and it means that reverence and humility and obedience that we have discussed. So let's not dismiss the, the rapid-fire nuggets from the overall cohesive thing that we've already learned. Wisdom is still fearing the Lord. Now we just get to see what that looks like on a bumper sticker. We get to see what that looks like on a headline. If there's a specific proverb that you have a question about through in the in the rest of the of the book, if you've read it and you have no clue what that one means, or you want to make sure that we do spend some time on that one, that I hope Brother Matt talks about this more than just reading it. Let me know, okay? And we'll make sure to we'll make sure to do that. But I don't know that we'll spend you know five or ten minutes on every single verse that we read the rest of the time. But um, let let me know about that. Uh, honestly, I'm excited to get to this section of the book. But I'll be honest with you, I'm a little intimidated. Um, Proverbs has been a a, a challenge um, to me personally. Uh, we're going to need some wisdom to learn from this wisdom coming up. Uh, so let's pray together uh, for the Lord to. Open our hearts for us to be ready to receive it like we've been encouraged to do by, by Lady Wisdom throughout the first nine chapters. Um, God gave King Solomon amazing wisdom. And he inspired him to write it down and record it for us. He preserved it for us. And he wants us to learn it. And so it'll be a good study together, I, I pray and I hope. And um, let's remember that even though they're memorable, and they're these beautiful statements. We need to do more than just memorize them. We need to follow them. We need to act them out. All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time that you've given us tonight to uh, look into your word, to talk about how it should be interpreted and, and applied. And Lord, we do, do pray for our study moving forward in Proverbs. Uh, and we pray that you'll give us uh, wisdom. We pray that your spirit will help us to... Uh, understand and interpret your word, Lord, and help us to not just be hearers of the word, but doers, uh, as James says, Lord. It, Lord, if there's someone here who is lost and doesn't know Christ as Savior, we pray for their salvation, uh, Lord, and we pray for our services upcoming Sunday as well, uh, that everything we do brings you honor and glory. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.